Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean and Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin. I'm a certified health coach, trainer, and author. And this podcast is for middle-aged men and women looking to optimize their health and get their bodies back to what it once was 10 to 15 years ago. I will give you simple, actionable items to get long-term sustainable results. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, here we are, episode number two of the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast, and my first official interview, uh, someone who actually interviewed me a few times for his podcast, I have Brad Kearns on, excited to have you on here. Oh my gosh, Brian, what an honor to be episode number two of the Get Clean Get clean, eat mean. Well, close. Eat yes. clean, get <laughs> lean. All those things, and boy, right. boy, don't those two go together with a rhyme as well as kind of the um, the main approach? Is if you eat clean. I mean, this is like the latest, greatest research. I love Dr. Jason's Fung book. Jason Fung's book, uh, the Obesity Code, talking about um, you know the exercise component, the fitness component doesn't have as much impact as we think on your body composition. And it's mainly about lowering insulin production over time mm -hmm. uh, by fasting, of course, and by uh, choosing out of the processed carbohydrates. And the, the science on the compensation theory is that the calories you burn during exercise are pretty much made up for by an increase in appetite uh, in your diet. And it doesn't negate anything you're doing in fitness. And I also am a little suspicious of the science saying that exercise has absolutely nothing to do with your body composition because I have life experience and so many people where, you know, when you are hitting it hard and doing these, these breakthrough workouts, you can get a benefit in your body composition and take it down from, you know, 12% to nine and a half, which is a huge deal when you're trying to get those incremental gains. But uh, to, to think about it in terms of just cleaning up your diet is the number one thing you can do. I think that's a good starting point for for people as well as a podcast title. So there you go. There you go. Well, thank you for that. I, you know, I wanted to introduce you <laughs> before, before we got into any content, but that was good. Um, so New York Times bestseller, author, uh, Guinness World Record setting professional speed golfer. And actually that's how I found out about Brad. Uh, he's also a triathlete, former triathlete, right? Number three world ranked professional triathlete. And he's written a bunch of books on diet, health, peak performance, ancestral living, and um, has the Get Over Yourself podcast as well. So uh, also we'll talk a little bit about some supplements and he also has a nut blend that came out as well. So a lot, a lot to touch on um, within the hour. So I'm excited. Um, well, why don't we, before we get into all that, um, why don't we, my question for you is how did you get down this path and it led you into like optimization and peak performance? Oh my gosh. I, I guess I'd have to reference my athletic experience, which started in childhood. I have a, uh, a funny uh, passage on my website called meet Brad. I figured I should uh, type this thing out and tell people all about my background and what inspired me. So it was kind of fun to, to write that and, and reflect and realize, you know, I, I was very active and athletic as a kid, like all of us were until modern times where now we have kids who are uh, playing with their devices all day and they're not, you know, running around outside until it gets dark. 
uh, and I always wanted to be, uh, you know, a big sports star and, and dreamed about that. And of course, I was a little guy. And when I got to high school, I realized that it wasn't going to happen for me on the basketball or the football team. So I had to do something. And I got attracted to uh, the endurance sports, long distance running in high school. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I had some great peers around me at that time. Uh, Stephen Deitch, Stevie Cobrain, Todd Pearsons, and we became buddies and we started to train very seriously in running and we got deep into it and, and became, you know, extreme uh, runners and competitors. And uh, I ascended to a pretty good level in high school. I made the national junior Olympics finals. I was ranked, uh, I think, 12th in the nation as a 16 year old in the mile, 1500 meters. Wow. Uh, I dreamed of going off to college and being a division one uh, competitive distance runner. And as soon as I got there, I got injured and sick over and over. And, you know, my running career ended with a big whimper. It was really devastating at that time. Uh, but luckily, I found this sport of triathlon, which was so attractive because you wouldn't get injured. You could go and train and get better in the different sports and not pound your body like the running programs at the collegiate level do. Even to this day, decades later, they still destroy these poor young athletes. Um, so, you know, I had this great journey in the sport of triathlon where I was able to make it as a professional competitor for nine years. And so kind of realizing my dreams, not of being on the NFL arena field or the the NBA arena, but I was able to be a pro athlete and travel around the world and compete against the best guys and dedicate my heart and soul to training and all my energy every single day was just getting up, putting in the work, trying to optimize my lifestyle, right? My diet, do what we thought was the best diet back then and get my sleep dialed in and get massage and chiropractic. So I was immersed into this world of healthy living and wellness like we experience today, but it came from that athletic angle where I was just trying to get the absolute most out of my body. So interestingly, you know, I thought I was a healthy guy I was sleeping like crazy and doing my stretches and preparing these nice meals and using all the supplements. Uh, but as, as, a, uh, as a professional triathlete and competing at that level and training and traveling so much, I was actually destroying my body from the ages of 20 to 30 when I competed on the circuit. Um, it was just such an extreme training regimen and so far out of balance from you know, doing something that's healthy versus pursuing a very narrow fitness competency, which was to go really fast in three sports, swimming, biking, and running. And that's all I was good for basically in life, you know? So if it was a rainy day and I needed to stack sandbags at the old lady neighbor's house to, to, you know, prevent her garage from flooding, I'd wake up the next morning, my back was all stiff. You know, I had no... I had no broad-based fitness competency. I was just a kind of a, a whippet that you could turn loose and, and, and go for a long time. And so I had to learn the hard way through hormonal imbalances and frequent um, you know, immune system suppressions and things that happen to endurance athletes when they train too hard that actually what I was doing wasn't very healthy. And so you know, continuing that journey, even as I, as I finished my racing career, and just trying to live a healthy life, it was kind of nice to recalibrate and realize that, you know, going out there and burning calories is just a small portion of what it takes to, you know, be healthy and fit and vibrant. So since that time, I've expanded my horizons and pursued other athletic goals, as you know, and I'm sure we'll get into different topics like that. Yeah, no, that's a good background. And the one thing um, I'll say from that is like, that people could take is the fact that you really do want to sort of balance yourself out 
it's, you know, to overtrain like that. And I don't know how many, how many miles you were running. Uh, what events did you, what, what event, I know you're a high jumper. What else? Well, if you're talking about my triathlon yeah. scene, I was mainly competing at Olympic distance, which is a mile swim, okay. 25 mile bike ride and a six mile run. And so it's an, ex, it's basically an extreme endurance event, even though we called that a shorter distance from what the Ironman is. Right. And I did those long races too, but basically in triathlon, you're out there training for many, many hours a day, building your endurance. And we're also pushing ourselves pretty hard because when you're on the, the world circuit and racing against the best guys, we're basically going all out from the gun. So when you jump in the water and go for a swim, you're not cruising along. You're trying to get into this pack. You're sprinting at the start. You're getting your position. You get on the bike and you get in your time trial position and you go as hard as you can for 25 miles. And then you throw that bike down and, and take off running as fast as you can for 10K. So it was a very strenuous sport and took a lot out of the body and required a lot of uh, recovery time and balancing activities. And boy, it's a constant challenge. I think any elite athlete in any sport, right? It's so extreme. Right. And the incremental gains are so tough to achieve that you're challenging your health no matter what. And, you know, clearly in the impact sports, these poor guys are taking a beating. But even like a professional soccer player, NBA player, it's a really, really grueling schedule. And so you have to really take good care of your body. And that's something I've carried forward to today, you know, decades right. later is, man, I get my sleep as a top priority, no matter what. And there's nothing that comes before that. And then when you get into these patterns where you have a tendency to overdo it, because you're a, a goal oriented type A driven type of person, mm -hmm. I got to tone that down and realize like, this is not the path to fitness, uh, pushing the hammer, pushing the gas pedal down all the time. So there's a lot of restraint required and a lot of intuition about making the right decisions every day. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned sleep because on my first podcast, I talked about like my top 10 principles and the number one principle that I talked about was make sleep a priority. And I think a lot of people just overlook that. <clears throat> yeah. You know, it's funny. It's like, we all nod our heads. We all agree with this. We're all highly aware of the importance of sleep. And so it's not like uh, Brian coming out and saying that green juice powder is the number three priority in your health because all these beautiful plants, you, you drink them and, and you, you boost your immune function. And it's like, wow, what a surprising insight. I'm going to have to go try that. You know, everyone nods their head and says, yep, sleep is, sleep is so important. But I think when we get down to it, uh, what I see in modern life is like, we have a hectic, stressful day. We're working really hard. People are pushing themselves in all different directions. You can think of the harried soccer mom carpooling around or the executive who's traveling on a jet and then you know, landing back in his home city and heading back and, and dealing with kids as soon as he walks in the door or she, right? And so we're all juggling all these things. And then at nighttime, we wanna sit back and relax and reconnect with our loved ones and enjoy a show and some entertainment, maybe a pint of ice cream or a bowl of pie popcorn or whatever that, you know, we're finally kind of taking the pressure off and the stress off. And one of those ways to do it is to enjoy that leisure time in the evening and extending into binge watching when you said you were going to watch one show and now you're on your third one, but you feel like you deserve it deep down and you don't want to always be in this rigid straight ahead, do what's you know best for you at all times. And so we make this trade off in our minds that we deserve to have a little evening enjoyment time 
and that it means extending the bedtime past that natural time when we might get tired if we weren't stimulated by the screen. And so, boy, you know, it's a constant balance because I want people to enjoy their life. Uh, we hear plenty of people standing up and telling you what to do all day, pointing their fingers while they're doing it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So we have to kind of approach these topics gracefully and realize that, um, you know, we, we, we want to enjoy our lives. We want to have some fun. We don't want to be rigid and, and strict in these things that aren't sustainable, but somewhere there's got to be a little give and take where, um, you know, you you can kind of have a watch alarm or a phone alarm going off at 10:30, and that's really the point where you want to get into the bedroom and start you know preparing for preparing for sleep and put some hard and fast rules in place to say hey anything from you know 7:30 p.m. when I get the little kid down to 10:30 is my free time and I can enjoy it how I want but you know have some have some rules in place so that you can be accountable to yourself rather than, you know, being subjected to free choice and distraction every single day. Yeah. I mean, just this, the basic principle of just going to bed around the same time every night can make a real big difference. And then getting up at the same time as well. I actually, um, I know that you're a big morning ritual guy. I'm as well. Uh, what's, I know you do chest freezer, uh, some cold therapy. So maybe we'll shift <laughs> To like a more, what's a good, what's your morning ritual? Um, and, uh, you know, maybe a few things that you like from it. Yeah, thanks for asking. And I have to say to the listener that um, I'm not a strict and regimented guy. I'm not one of those schedule guys. I don't have a, a, a commute or a job or a place to be at the exact time. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I make my own schedule uh, and it's very flexible. So coming from that position, it has been an incredible revelation for me to put this morning routine into place. And I've done something every single day for the last four years. And it's, I, I call it my morning flexibility, mobility, uh, fitness routine. You can see it on YouTube. I just published a new video of Brad Kern's morning routine. You'll find it the 2020 version because I've adapted the routine over time. I have a video that's been on there for a few years. Uh, but what I decided to do was do something every single morning that would kind of elevate my fitness base for these difficult workouts that I did, uh, you know, maybe once a week, my sprint workout, my high jump workout, which is really strenuous. And I'd always come out the next day from these, these workouts and I'd be stiff and sore and aching and it would take a few days to unwind and kind of recover. And I thought, you know, all I do is uh, these moderate workouts, during the week and then I go do this super difficult sprint workout and I'm not really well adapted to it because I haven't challenged my muscles in that way except for when I do these hard workouts. So I thought if I do something that's kind of challenging every morning and strengthen my core and work on balance and agility and flexibility, then when I go do these workouts, I'll, I'll launch from a higher platform. And it really worked out well. So the, work, uh, the workout you see me demonstrating on YouTube is my custom design uh, specifically for sprinting and jumping. So it includes like hamstring flexibility and hip flexors and work in that core so that your lower back's not traumatized when you're doing explosive work. Um, and, you know, it's not, uh, it's not too difficult for me. It's very sustainable. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take too long where I feel stressed and encumbered and, and it's setting me back because it takes an hour and 20 minutes every morning, you know? So I think that's a big point that like, whatever you're doing, 
make sure that it's really, really doable and easy to fit into your schedule. So right. at first I made this routine, uh, what I called my five minute uh, leg movement routine. And I thought it was five minutes because it was so easy to do and I got accustomed to it over months of time. Uh, but it was actually 12 minutes. We filmed yeah. it for YouTube, the first one. And I'm like, wow, it took 12 minutes, not five, but I thought it was five. But 12 is not a huge commitment for anybody. I think anybody listening can go, oh, sure, I can do something for 12 minutes every morning before I go and reach for my phone. Like 84% of Americans, that's the first thing they do. And it's a really bad thing for the brain to reach for that device that puts you into reactive brain mode rather than high level strategic thinking and reflection mode, which is what we want to tap into in the morning to kind of plan our day and get some insights and all that. So what I've done over time is this routine has been locked into habit, right? If I did it for John Asraf says it takes 55 days to 365 days to build a habit. Okay. The research, you know, if I do something every day for a couple months, then I'm kind of feeling excited. I got a streak going. It's important to me. Uh, I can count on myself. I feel good after doing it. So after a while, what I did was I'd start to add uh, little challenges and make the routine a little more uh, difficult and longer in duration. And today, my morning routine is a minimum of 35 minutes. And I often add stuff on after that because I'm sweating and I'm pumped up and I'm in the mode. Then I can go do some deadlifts or some pull-ups or something that actually counts as kind of a formal workout. So just to uh, add on to that, do you, when do you do the uh, cold therapy? Is that so after? then I finish up this uh, morning uh, movement routine right? and I'm a little warm, which is kind of nice because uh, then my next move is to jump into the chest freezer. Yeah. And I know that probably sounds extreme to a lot of people. And I think cold therapy is something that can benefit everyone. And again, you can do it with these baby steps. So it's not something crazy sure. and it's not something you heard from some podcast guy that uh, immerses his body into cold, icy water. Uh, but, you know, someday maybe you can dream of progressing up to that point because uh, the benefits are, are profound and the science is uh, tremendously supportive with a lot of great research showing that. Uh, even a brief cold exposure can have a, a huge hormonal boost to being like a natural wake-up call that's better than coffee. There's research out of Finland that uh, as little as a 20-second immersion into 40-degree Fahrenheit water uh, can result in a boost to the prominent focusing motivation hormone of norepinephrine, uh, a boost of 200 to 300% over baseline lasting for an hour. And I think anyone can reference, you know, if you go jump into Lake Michigan on New Year's Day on the polar bear plunge and you, you jump in and you get out on the beach, you feel alive and invigorated mm -hmm. uh, right away, even just a short burst into the, the river or the ocean or whatever you're doing. And so the easy way to get started with something like this would be uh, to turn the shower handle to cold mm -hmm. for as little as 30 seconds and just feel that invigorating sensation uh, of a cold exposure that's therapeutic. It's not strenuous. It's not painful. It's not torturous. You know, you can watch me on YouTube getting into my chest freezer where the water's cooled down to 38 all the time. And I go in there and I do my deep breathing practice and I've built up now my tolerance to where I can last for several minutes, five to six minutes. Uh, but I'm not shivering and suffering and torturous in there and compromising my health. I'm, I'm feeling comfortable and under control at all times. Yeah. I mean, this is something that I've gotten into, uh, whether it's 
filling up the tub, jumping in a cold pool, um, or even just doing the showers. I think it's a, I think if you've never done it, I think just like take your normal shower and then last 15 seconds, just put it on cold and then just breathe, <laughs> deep breathe, deep breaths, and then just work your way up. And then maybe next time, 20 seconds and 30 seconds until like it just, you just sort of like anything else, you just build up your tolerance for it. And it really is a great way to start the day. I started doing them like you almost mentioned. I like to do them actually after workouts. I think it's just, you know, mm. it's just a great way to just finish everything off. Um, if you could jump in a, a chest freezer or a tub after a workout. Um, and then also, you know, you, it's a lot cheaper than cryotherapy. Um, even though cryotherapy does have plenty of benefits. And um, I've done both. I will say I probably enjoy the plunging a little bit more. Um, I can't really explain why. Maybe it's just the, the breathing and the, uh, the fact that you're in water. Um, yeah, it's, it's something special. Um, it's known that the, uh, the greatest protection from EMF is immersed in a body of water. So right. you got that going for you. Right, right. Uh, but I also like to do my uh, cold exposure in Lake Tahoe in the season, which is, uh, you know, we're recording this in November. So for the next six months, the lake will count as cold therapy. In the summer, it's not cold enough for me to count it. So I, I make it a swim. And by the time I'm swimming for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, I'm getting a little chilly in the water in the mid 60s. But when you can get that, you know, brief immersion and cold uh, conducts, uh, it, it dissipates uh, body heat 25 times uh, faster than air. So that's why the cryotherapy chamber is, has to be like minus 200 and something degrees. Mm. Uh, but the, the water is much more uh, efficient for something like this cold exposure. And again, you're not trying to uh, put yourself into uh, discomfort or into distress. You're just getting a therapeutic exposure to cold and your body responds with this tremendous hormonal, it's a, called a hormetic stressor. And it's kind of the thing that we're missing out on these days in modern life because we're, everything's so comfortable and convenient. And, you know, fasting is, a, is another hormetic stressor where you're putting your body under the stress of starving your cells of energy, forcing them to, you know, manufacture or uh, gain energy internally through burning body fat or making ketones. Um, a high intensity workout is also another form of stress that gives a positive net benefit. And so that's what the, uh, the cold exposure category uh, qualifies as well. Same with sauna and the benefits of doing uh, hot therapy and cold therapy are quite similar. You might've heard of these heat shock proteins they talk about when you get in the sauna and it has all these immune boosting, cognitive boosting, fat burning benefits. And the same thing uh, happens when you're exposing to cold. I actually have the chest freezer and I have a portable sauna uh, in my yard so I can do both. And for some reason, people that come over, they want to do the sauna more so than jump in the cold tub. I don't know why, because they're both really health, health boosting, but it's also kind of fun to do back and forth contrast therapy, they call it. And just what you're doing is putting your body under you know, a mild and short duration form of stress and that's where you get the positive health benefits. So if I were to try to sit in the cold tub for an hour, they would probably have to pull me out and take me to the emergency room, right? So it's stupid to, to do things that are extreme and too stressful. Same with staying in the sauna for too long, but you're kind of finding that sweet spot where you're putting the body under a bit of stress and the body responds, just like lifting a weight or sprinting or anything else. Yeah. And, you know, 
all, all the things that we're talking about are like, they're pretty simple to do in a sense, right? These are just easy things that, you know, we talk, well, we talk about sleep. I mean, obviously some people do struggle with sleep and um, there's obviously ways to go about helping um, get better sleep. One of them is perhaps like turning off devices and, and meditation and reading and things like that. But, you know, we're talking about sleep, cold, um, heat therapy, um, you know, these are things, obviously not everyone's going to have a sauna in their house, but the cold therapy is one, there's really no excuse. I mean, it's not hard to, to make the shower cold. Um, and then even just moving, like, uh, getting up and going for a walk. Um, and I know you just did a podcast, uh, regarding CGMs, which is actually interesting because I got, uh, that yeah, NutriSense right. one. Um, yeah, I got it from that, from NutriSense, uh, the CGM. I just started it yesterday. Uh, so it's just getting acclimated to it's, it's, it's getting acclimated to me and I'm getting acclimated to it, how to use it, but it, it's a cool device with, a, with feedback that you would get, you know, that you wouldn't get from many things. Uh, just if people don't know what a CGM is, a continuous glucose monitor and, um, you know, Brad, you just interviewed, um, what was her name? Kara? Uh, yeah, Kara Collier. And I also interviewed uh, Dr. Casey Means. They work for two different companies that are promoting the similar technology and uh, apps that allow you to track your glucose in real time. It's a fantastic invention. I think one of the great um, you know, biofeedback tools you can access these days, especially to promote behavior modification, to see the impact of getting off your butt after dinner and walking around the block and noticing your glucose drop. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm noticing that. Um, I got it just to try it for two weeks. I mean, I'm a pretty healthy eater and faster and do a lot of good things, but you know, I figured it never hurts to get feedback, see how different foods impact me. Cause I can sort of feel it. Sometimes I'll have something and then, you know, you can just feel like, well, like uh, there, there went my energy. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but now you can see it with, you know, with data that that's giving you feedback right away. Yeah. And, um, I hesitate to get too deep into this uh, world of biofeedback and, and biohacking because I'm an old school guy, right? My, my training and my, my time in the triathlon uh, world was before all this technology of wattage meters and all this kind of, you know, pricking your finger and looking at your ketones. And these things are strange and, and modern to me, going back to, you know, training by how you feel and using your intuitive uh, decision-making skills. Uh, but, you know, when the technology is available, I think it's good to use that going hand in hand with your intuition right. and your life experience and, and making sensible decisions. So I think there's a place for technology, uh, but we definitely uh, don't want to go overboard. And I think a lot of people become uh, obsessed or uh, overly reliant upon uh, devices and things like uh, the GPS tracking how many miles they've ran rather than uh, doing things where you, know, you might be able to adjust your workouts depending on uh, the whims of your mood and your energy level on a certain day rather than kind of being the slave to technology because everything's being measured and judged that way. Yeah, no, I agree. It is about, the, it is about balance and, um, and you got to go with your intuition. Um, you know, another thing that I'm big into is also fitness. Um, and I will say, um, I just turned 40 this past year and, you know, I've been lifting for like 20 years and having issues now with my upper body, my elbow. And, uh, I went with, with, with the whole quarantine, you know, since I was working out at home a lot, 
I got, I got into bands, resistance training bands. And I know you've interviewed, uh, you know, Dr. John with X3. Um, and yeah, I've been, been using that and, um, and I'm not saying you necessarily have to use his system, but, uh, I will say I've, I'm, I'm able now to do things with resistance bands, uh, just because of the fact that my joints aren't under so much strain. Um, and I know that you interviewed him. What was the biggest takeaway you got from that? Yeah, that's an interesting um, concept because I'm trying hard to do my strength training assignments and put my body under resistance load regularly, right? Especially to preserve that bone density and that muscle power as we age. And also because I have goals in the explosive sports of sprinting and high jumping. Uh, mm -hmm. But what I've found over the years is uh, when I go and do my deadlifts or whatever I'm, I'm trying to do, uh, maybe I'm not super consistent. And then I'll be sore for two or three days after the session. Right. And it's so frustrating because that interferes with uh, my primary goal, which is to go do the actual workouts in the sports where I have the main goals. And so it's like, I know I have to stay strong, but I hate getting sore and beat up from the heavy weights. And so when you do the resistance bands, uh, you're able to alleviate those uh, eccentric contractions that are the cause of muscle soreness, right? It's lowering the weight down to the ground is what causes the muscle soreness, just like running downhill and having that impact of your, uh, your, your, uh, leg muscle contracting eccentrically, that means kind of like hitting the ground, absorbing the impact and contracting at the same time. And so when you're using a band, you're stretching the band and that's the resistance, that's the power. And then when you release the band, you don't have that same propensity to damage the muscle. Uh, and oh my gosh, I'm sure you can line up fitness guests and, and talk for the next three years about the different philosophies and the strategies and the opinions and everybody's, uh, everyone's wrong except me. And this is the only way to go. And I'm, I'm of the belief that like, if you can go into the gym or your home gym and get some work done, you get a thumbs up and a five star in your journal. And I don't care what modality you use, as long as you enjoy it and it's safe and all that. So safety is a big one to me. And that's where the uh, using a band is, you know, clearly more safe than having a heavy, heavy bar that you might uh, misuse or, or, you know, put a, a certain joint under load because you didn't have perfect technique or you fatigued or whatever. And so, yeah, I think it's great to open up the game of resistance training to more people than uh, the big shots in the gym. And I still, man, I walk into the gym and I see the big guys throwing around the weights. And it's like, I have a fair amount of competency. I can go over there and do it. But it's sort of this intimidating thing where, you know, giant muscles are walking around. I can't imagine like a, a female who's a novice in the strength training scene or, you know, some young kid who wants to get bigger for high school sports mixing in with the big shots. But if you go get yourself, uh, you mentioned the X3 bar, or you can get these inexpensive items like the uh, I, I use stretch cords that are just a hanging set of uh, surgical tubing, stretchy tubing with handles on the end. You can work your body fantastically super safe. It's adaptable to any fitness level because you're pulling your own resistance and you're stretching uh, a band. And boy, there's no, there's no more barrier of entry uh, because you don't think you're, you're knowledgeable enough or skilled enough to go mix it up with the, with the big shots at the gym. Yeah. And I think like I've noticed with myself is as I've gotten older, like it, yeah, you want to maintain that fitness level and stay strong and build muscle but you also don't want to get hurt and be out for a few days. 
Um, you know, I used to have some hip issues and yeah, no, I mean, doing the deadlifts with the bands, even the chest press, um, and actually not, and hitting it really hard and I've put on muscle and I'm not sore. Like I'm not, I, I always thought you needed to be like sore for like days. I, it, it's like one of these old school myths that you need to be sore for days to build muscle. Yeah. I mean, it's not old school, it's new school yeah, also. Right. And we still believe this and it's so erroneous. And finally, you know, the message is really getting out. I think we're witnessing a transformation in the fitness industry away from this uh, flawed, no pain, no gain mentality that we've always subscribed to. And now the great experts, uh, Dr. Craig Marker, one of the guys I really follow and respect. Uh, you can see his articles at breakingmuscle.com. Uh, he, he has this, um, this transformative article that's called Hit Versus Hurt and uh, talking about the, the, the common uh, strategy of high intensity interval training, HIIT. And his take on that is called HURT, high intensity repeat training. And so instead of an interval workout, which by definition is exhausting and draining and fatiguing because you're trying to hit the same uh, performance over and over with a rest interval that's not quite enough to get you fully recovered. And so if you're going into your spin class and you're asked to do six times, three minutes of fast pedaling with a 30 second recovery or you know sprinting for 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off for 10 minutes, by the time you get to the seventh or the eighth or the ninth minute, your body's under duress, you're fatiguing yourself, uh, you're breaking down the uh, cellular components to fuel this fire to continue to output again and again with insufficient rest. And so if you kind of transition that to a high intensity repeat training article uh, workout, um, what you're going to do is you're going to uh, perform an explosive effort and then rest for a long enough period of time to where the next one and the next one and the next one is of consistent quality to the first one. So it's not any more difficult. You don't have to dig deeper till you're puking on the side of the running track or leaning over your handlebars exhausted and dripping with sweat. What you're doing is you're teaching your body to perform explosive efforts, but with less stress and breakdown and recovery time necessary from the typical workout that we're used to where we're pushing and pushing and trying to make these difficult intervals. And it's been a great uh, revelation to me because I'm working on sprinting. I want to be competent. I don't want to be walking around sore and stiff for four days after. Right. So if I take longer rest periods between my sprints and I sprint for a little bit shorter duration to the point where I'm not really feeling that strain and that muscle tension, if I were to extend beyond, let's say, uh, 10 to 20 seconds is what Dr. Marker calls the sweet spot. But if you want to go sprint for 30 or 40 seconds or a minute and a half, like we're accustomed to doing with rowing or, or, or bicycling or people out there doing intervals with the running club, that's when you engage in that cellular breakdown and that extreme fatigue that causes a lot of rebuilding time. And if you're constantly in rebuilding mode, like you described with muscle soreness, um, studies are now validating that the protein synthesis that occurs after a workout, if your muscles are sore, that protein synthesis is going to repair the muscle tissue, not to build it or not to make it stronger, but to repair the damage first as a priority, obviously, before you can start to 
work on fitness and you know improving your fitness first you got to repair the damage so when you become sore after a workout that's actually a sign that you screwed up in some way shape or form and you want to go back and figure out a better strategy so that you're not sore yeah, you can be tired or your muscles can feel not as strong the next day because you really pushed it. But soreness is a sign of damage. And I've been dealing, fighting this my whole life and being one way or another sore after this or that workout. And I think now the elite athletes are finally discovering that this is not how it has to be, that you can perform well within yourself at almost every single workout that you do. And that way you're allowed to build and build and build your fitness without the interruption that comes from breakdown and of course leading to burnout, illness and injury eventually that so many fitness enthusiasts can relate to at all levels, not just the elite people that are pushing it really hard like I described, but people that go into the gym, you know, from being in the training scene, these poor people mm -hmm. that are well-intentioned, they go in there on January 1st, they buy their 12 pack of workouts with the trainer. And then by April Fool's Day, <laughs> they've, they've given up because it's too difficult. Right. Yeah. And then it just scares people, right? It scares people away. And yeah, I mean, for the longest time, I, I mean, a lot of people, including myself, thought that, oh, you had to be sore, break the muscle down. And it's like, you know, then I started getting into like the X3 and resistance training through bands. And I'm like, wow, I'm putting on muscle and I'm hitting it hard. Like, I know he says one set, I, I do a few more. Um, I don't know. I just, maybe it's my old school thing is like, I don't want, I need more than 10 minutes. Right. Like, so I'm there. <laughs> I'm usually, it usually takes me 40 minutes to get through, but I warm up, you know, this is with warm up and stuff. Cause I, I enjoy it and I'd rather be in there more than 10 minutes. I guess if I'm in a hurry, yes. But, um, either way I'm hitting it hard for a few sets, like till I can't even, you know, the fatigue is beyond me and I'm fine the next day. I'm actually yeah. working out every day. I, I, you know, I do take maybe one day off, but I'm just sort of, am I doing my own routine in a sense? I'm doing lower body at one day, upper body the next day, and I'm just keep rotating back and forth. And anyways, yeah, it's been for me. Yeah. Like a revelation as far as, um, building muscle and just like being able to do it and not be sore. <laughs> right. And same with all the endurance sports, the, the cardio sports. Um, we talk so much about the maximum aerobic heart rate when it comes to training for a 10 K half marathon an ultra a triathlon and this cutoff point where if you exceed this maximum aerobic heart rate, you're making a workout that's more stressful, more emphasizing glucose burning rather than fat burning and kind of defeating the purpose. If your goal is to build endurance and we see so many people out there training devotedly for the Chicago marathon, I'm going to do it with my buddy. We're working hard. We're working, we're, increasing our mileage from a 10 miler to a 14 miler. But when the pace is slightly too difficult, again, it's not torturous where you can't breathe and whatnot, but most people are exercising beyond this defined maximum aerobic heart rate to the point where they're no longer optimizing their fat burning capabilities, which is the essence of endurance. And instead they're just getting, uh, they're getting competent at a mediocre performance where they can hold a slightly strenuous pace, but they're not building their aerobic capacity over time. And so the secret is, and this is right on the cover of Mark Sisson and my book called Primal Endurance, it says slow down to race faster. 
And it's a literal truth that if you slow down and allow your body to increase its fat burning capabilities with slow pace workouts that are emphasizing fat burning and minimizing glucose burning, you will get stronger and stronger and stronger such that the same pace per mile, if we're talking about improving over time, you go out there and run nine minute miles, pretty soon you can run faster at the same heart rate. And so you become more efficient aerobically. And this is how all the elite athletes in all the major endurance sports have trained for the past 60 years, but it's been totally ignored by the recreational enthusiasts because they want to feel like they're getting a workout and feel that sense of exertion by escalating their pace up to where it's slightly difficult rather than steady and under control and comfortable. So if you look at a Tour de France cyclist or an Olympic marathon runner, most of their workouts are extremely comfortable and they're well within themselves. They can talk to their friend next to them. Uh, they can come home and uh, rake the leaves and make a meal. They're not collapsed out on the couch. That's a complete myth that this training has to be so torturous and grueling. Uh, in, it's even in the, um, in the high intensity sports too, like a, a competing power lifter or explosive uh, performer in whatever sport, you know, they're doing their workouts, they're well within themselves, they're already at a high fitness level, of course, but they come home and they feel fine and they feel comfortable and energetic. And it's not just this, this torture and suffer fest that we've been socialized to think is the way to train. Yeah, I completely agree. And um, I'm on board with that. So, I mean, um, let's talk about a couple of things. Um, optimizing testosterone. I know that you partnered with um, Ancestral Supplements, which I, I actually started taking um, some of their formulations. And then, and now I'm, I am taking their MoFo, which I have right here. There we are. All right. Product plug. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm, I've gotten, I will say this, I've gone from a pescatarian. And then when the quarantine hit, I just felt like, um, you know, I started listening to a little bit more about, you know, some, a little bit more, uh, regarding like carnivore and, you know, I'm a big animal lover, but when I realized that there's ways to consume animals that are done in a responsible way, um, on, in places that treat their animals humanely and, all, you know, with regenerative farming, um, and which is, you know, good for the environment. Um, it made me realize that, you know what, I can do this in a responsible way, um, and benefit a lot of people, including myself, who I felt like I was not getting adequate protein. Um, and the more I research and read and listen, uh, how important that is, um, especially for how active I am. Uh, it's been a game changer and like people, I, I would post videos over quarantine and they're like, God, you look like you've gotten bigger. And I was like, I really haven't changed that much. I mean, yes, now I've gone more to the resistance training. <laughs> I have put on muscle. I've gotten thicker, but I really have to say it's a lot of it's truly because I've gotten into more of an animal based um, approach, but done it responsibly. Um, so anyways, nose to tail um, is, is a good way is, is, you know, a great way to go, I think. And if you, if you don't want to have liver and heart and kidney <laughs> and eat that, um, or grill that, or however you want to prepare that, um, there's a lot of blends out there now too, which I do buy some, some, from different places where you can get it blended. Um, you can go, um, 
you know, something like this route, which is, I know Brad partnered with Ancestral and came out with this MOFO optimization formula. Yeah. I think that's really nice topic to discuss. Diet is so controversial now and there's, you know, camps that believe this and another camp that believes something entirely different and they both have science to support it. But we do have to recognize that um, the, the evolutionary model, right? The, the scientific study of two and a half million years mm-hmm. uh, of what humans evolved on um, lends a lot of support to the idea that we should be consuming uh, the most nutrient dense foods on earth, which happen to be the animal foods. And more specifically, the animal organs have the highest scores, liver um, foods like oily cold water fish and oysters and uh, wild caught salmon and sardines and grass fed steak uh, meat on the bone, cuts on the bone that have the the, the special agents. And so it kind of uh, puts eating in a, a new light, you know, pastured eggs, all these things. We have a carnivore ranking chart that we're coming out with. We're going to publish where uh, people can see these tiers of the most nutritious foods and try to emphasize those in the diet. Uh, but essentially, you know, we got to go for maximum nutrition when we're choosing our meals and that'll make us feel satisfied. So we won't eat in excess of the the junk, the nutrient deficient foods, like the, the bottle of Pringles where you can't eat just one because there's no nutritional value. And so your body continues, your brain tells you to eat more and more to get something of substance out of there. And there's nothing same with all the junk food and the getting hooked on uh, sweetened beverages. So yeah, I'm big on this uh, nose to tail carnivore movement. It really makes a lot of sense. A lot of people are finding amazing healing stories when they restrict these plant toxins. Uh, that's not, uh, I'm not one of those people. So I have no problem eating salads my whole life and all that kind of thing. But I have transitioned over to emphasizing the most nutrient dense foods, uh, like the nose to tail and the organ meats and engaging in more fasting and periods of time where I can get good at burning body fat and making my own antioxidants internally, rather than worrying about going to the juice bar and pumping down a bunch of sugar in the name of getting antioxidants. Uh, But that point you make about uh, the suggestion to eat a lot of liver, heart, kidney, and all these great things, um, it's pretty tough to execute and to find natural sources of these items because, um, you know, something like liver, uh, oftentimes called the most nutrient dense food available on the planet. Uh, if you have a, uh, you know, a conventional source where the animal was raised with hormones, pesticides, antibiotics, a lot of those toxins are going to concentrate in the liver tissue, uh, just like the nutrients do. So you got to find that grass fed, naturally raised animal. And if you're not really pleasant with those tastes, you're not apt to grill heart over (laughs) on the weekend when your buddies come over. Yeah, the supplements are a great category to consider. And I think it's really helpful for a lot of people to kind of shore up deficiencies in that superfood consumption. So we came out with this product male optimization formula with organs called MOFO and specifically designed to help uh, naturally boost internal testosterone production. So we have two kind of parameters here and people have heard about the anti-aging therapies where you're taking something from outside the body, exogenous testosterone, right? And once you go down that slippery slope into anti-aging medicine, your body kind of uh, shuts down its own natural production and you become reliant on a drug regimen. And so I would look at that as the last resort after I've exhausted all manner of lifestyle possibilities to boost testosterone naturally. And one of those, and maybe one of the best ones is to... Uh, get these uh, 
these animal organ meats, especially the formulation that we made, which has these specific proteins, peptides, enzymes, cofactors, and molecular biodirectors that trigger internal testosterone production. This is the concept of like supports like, because in the formula is freeze-dried bovine testicle and prostate and parts of the uh, male reproductive system. And so it's sending these chemical triggers to help you make more testosterone. So that's kind of the, the product pitch. I'm really excited about it. But we also realize that coming out with this product, you can't just take uh, some pills, even if they are potent and powerful, right. and expect to have results. So I created this MOFO mission which is doing all the lifestyle factors that will help you naturally boost testosterone so that when you take the supplement, uh, you can really experience the benefits because you are sleeping really well. You've cut the junk food out of your diet. You're doing the proper amount of uh, explosive high intensity exercise. You're not ignoring it, but nor are you overdoing it either. So you're finding the sweet spot with fitness, with daily movement, getting up and moving around a lot, not just doing an awesome workout and then having 23 hours a day where you're mostly sitting around. So it's kind of fun to promote this MOFO mission. And actually listeners can go get a free ebook that has tremendous uh, detail on how to master these 10 assignments that we call them of the MOFO mission. Uh, it's called Becoming a Modern Day MOFO. If you go to bradkearns.com, you can click on this link that says MOFO and you are off and running uh, doing everything you need to do to to optimize your own you know natural hormonal profile and of course you know what did you just turn forty man that's when the big the big numbers start hitting up and that's when you start uh, having to further examine your decisions where you can get away with a lot of stuff prior to forty mm -hmm. but once we get past forty oh my gosh the research is pretty scary that. Um, the, the average male testosterone level is declining at a rate of around 1% a year, dating back to the 1980s. So our fathers and our grandfathers of, of past times had much more testosterone than we do, mainly because we're getting slammed these days with all these modern uh, triggers, such as uh, electromagnetic fields, uh, the constant hyperconnectivity that's reducing our potential for rest and recovery and downtime, not just sleeping at night, but just having downtime to, to relax the body and the brain and regenerate naturally and optimize our hormonal pathways and profiles that you know are just basically getting trashed by too much stress these days. Yeah, you hit a lot there. And I, I think that that's what uh, I do, man. I go on a rant, the, the timer's I, clicking, you're filling yeah. your brain with information, <laughs> and then back to Brian in the studio. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we've hit on a lot. Um, and uh, you even answered the question where people can find you, which is bradkearns.com. That mofo mission is really cool. I've read through that. I mean, just following something like that can just give you a guideline on an on, you know, on a daily basis. Um, we we won't get into golf. I, I could talk for golf for, you know, we probably have another hour conversation on golf, but um, I wanted to ask you just to sort of sum it up since we, you know, we're talking about middle age. Um, and I know as you, you know, we all know as you get older, you gotta, you know, that's when you gotta sort of step it up even more. And we've talked a lot of ways to do that through sleep, through cold therapy, hot heat therapy, through a good morning routine. Um, even with the CGM to monitor your, your glucose throughout the day, um, micro workouts. Um, but what would you say? Um, I know this is a tough one and you might've already probably already said, but what, what's one tip you'd give someone, you know, if they're, let's say they just turned 40 and they wanted to sort of get, get their body back and their mind back to what it once was, what, what would you tell them? 
Oh, that's a nice question. And one thing I'm noticing today with this incredible access to information is we can fill our brains with so much uh, suggestion and knowledge and inspiration when you get the excited podcast guests telling how great it is to jump in the chest freezer. But then I feel like personally, since I live and breathe this stuff, especially, uh, it's very, very easy to get overwhelmed and even to the point of feeling discouraged because you're not quite as badass as the person you just listened to on the podcast or the guy on the cover of the book telling you his 17 tips to making a million zillion dollars and having a six pack and uh, living the, the dream uh, on the private jet. And so I think uh, it's really, really important to filter out uh, all, this, uh, all this content and you know, become resilient against uh, any of the uh, negativity or overwhelm that it caused. I mean, social media, the studies are showing that it causes this disease state called FOMO. Uh, a good friend of mine and podcast guest, Dr. Ron Sinha, he takes care of uh, the affluent population in California's Silicon Valley. These are the most wealthiest workers on the planet, arguably, with their average incomes out of the roof and you know, very high cost of living too. But these people suffer from an epidemic of FOMO because there's so much wealth around them that even making a healthy six-figure income is not enough compared to the neighbor that just cashed in millions of dollars of stock options and is coming home with new cars and a bigger house and all this stuff. So we're in this world where um, we're, we're constantly vulnerable to feeling like crap and feeling like we're not enough and giving up and getting discouraged. So to finally answer your question, I think it's all about these little baby steps where you can have little wins and little successes. And if you're watching on video, Brian's nodding his head because I know being in the training scene and working with clients, you have to get those people feeling successful and feeling like they're under control and they can do it rather than stretching their limit all the time and right at the risk of giving up and falling apart. So when I mentioned that morning routine and I made this resolve back in early 2017 to spend five minutes before I got out of bed, I actually did the exercises in bed before I realized that like anything you're doing for your core, if you're on a mattress, is twice as easy as it is on the ground. So now I jump out and, and head outside, I get cold exposure and I'm on the ground doing my, my mat work. Uh, but if it's really short and you can nod your head and say, of course I can do five minutes, that's when we're looking at a really good predictability of success and sustainability rather than saying, hey, just go in and uh, jump in the chest freezer for six minutes every day and then do an hour of stretching after and you'll feel great. All right, thanks a lot. F you too, because I got two little kids screaming. I got to catch the train at a certain time and I got to be on my butt in the chair for hours and hours after that. So if we can just tiptoe in that direction and feel like we're under control, that's when you can make big changes because guess what happens when you have a little bit of success tiptoeing in that direction? It starts to build, it starts to become habit and you start to escalate your commitment and your enjoyment and appreciation of going to sleep on time, being healthy, eating the right foods, all that stuff. Yeah, no, that was great. And I, I, I agree. I, and, and, you know, as far as fasting is concerned, that's the same thing. You know, you could look at a lot of things like cold exposure, just a little bit at a time, start a little, you know, with fasting, maybe push back breakfast an hour um, or half hour. And then once you do that for a few days, you're like, oh, this is not a big deal. You know, that's how I got into it. I just slowly pushed back and got, had little wins, little wins, and then realized, oh, it's noon. Wow. 
it's not that big of a deal. I just, you know, I'm so used to eating breakfast, but now I don't even think about it. Um, but again, like you said, it takes time. You know, um, it's not about, you know, I think people get burned out. They try to do everything all at once and quickly, and then then it ends up, you know, backfiring. Um, so yeah, yeah, this was, yeah, go ahead. Well said. I like that. A good example of fasting. And, you know, guess what? It's okay to be a little bit uncomfortable once in a while. So right. if you're a little hungry at 1015, you can probably make it till 11am, not to suffer and torture yourself every day. But we got to test ourselves and challenge ourselves. And that's what the turning the handle to cold water for the last minute is all about is like, give yourself a little bit of uh, a healthy, positive stressor, and you'll become a stronger, more resilient, more focused, more disciplined person overall i completely agree and um brad i want to just thank you for coming on and uh my first official interview and uh you were great lots of great tips on this first one eat clean get lean people thank you so much brian good luck with your show i'm, I'm so glad you're you launched this thing and i think you're going to help a lot of people thanks so much and um yeah i will talk to you down the line Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.